Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day, Lord. And Father, as we just look into your word this morning, Father, we pray, Lord, that you will speak. And Lord, that it is, none of it will be uh, from me, Lord, but you will speak through me. And that the people may be encouraged, strengthened, and to be challenged into following you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, what I want to talk about today is a scripture passage that I came across when I was preparing my message on giants, uh, which I did maybe a, a couple of months ago. Now, I believe this points to the kind of journey that Christian goes through as it has elements of the spiritual warfare that we can learn from. And I actually, initially, I thought about doing this before the talk on uh, the giants in the land. Uh, but as it turned out, I, I, I did that first. And, uh, and this sort of happens before the conquest of Canaan and after they came out of Egypt. But I want to go through that whole journey from Egypt uh, up to the borders and continuing from there on. Uh, I've tied to the message, blotting out the remembrance of Amalek. Blotting out the remembrance of Amalek. Amalek. So our main reading for today is Exodus 17, verses 8 to 16. However, we can read the whole chapter to get an idea of the context and the setting. Exodus 17, verses 8 to 16, but we're going to read the whole chapter, 1 to 16. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river. And go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. 
And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So today we're going to just specifically look at this passage from verses 8 to 16. Now, just if you going back, uh, going back on the journey all the way back to Egypt, uh, you know, they start their journey in Egypt. And as we know, Egypt is a picture of the world. And in Egypt, the devil has you exactly where he wants you. Egypt promises much, but you become enslaved to the system. Yes, there is religion in Egypt and God, actually lots of them. But it's the God of this world. In Egypt, the worship is not quite right. To truly worship God, you have to leave Egypt. You have to leave the gods of this world behind. God wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that, this is why we had to come out of Egypt. You can't have true worship in Egypt. You can't serve God while you have one foot in the world. Coming to the end of his life, Joshua said to his people in Joshua 24, 14 to 15, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe this verse is for someone sitting here today. Maybe you have one foot in the world and the other trying to please God. And maybe you're not completely convinced about God at all. I have to say, if you're waiting for that moment, that special moment, it may never arrive. The the Israelites experienced all the power of God, all the power of God in their lives from Egypt all the way through their journey, and yet they still rebelled. And we are at a point here where they again rebelled, having seen all the wonders that he did in in the land of Egypt. As Elijah said to his people in 1 Kings 18.21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. We, We are silent We have a choice to make. We have a decision to make, but we are silent on this. We are sitting on the fence. 
Now, after many experiences, the Israelites were able to leave Egypt. And when the Israelites finally came out, they didn't take the direct route into the promised land. God took them on a safer route. We read about that in Exodus 13, 17 to 18. Exodus 13, 17 to 18 says, when it came to, Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. You know, God wants to lead us, and he says, he promises, he leads us by the still waters. He wants to take us in the right way, the way that is good for us. That's, that's his intention and his plan. Now, in the story of, of Exodus, there is a picture or a parallel of the, of the journey that a person takes when he is born again. Likewise, in the passage, Bible passage that we just read, there is a picture of the spiritual warfare that a believer will go through in their Christian life. As I said, you start off in Egypt, then you go, then through some miraculous sequence of events, you come to an encounter with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're born again, you start a journey to Canaan, to the promised land. Along the way, there are many challenges, and there will be warfare. When the devil realizes that you no longer serve him, he will send all the armies of Pharaoh against you. But God will fight for you. To understand the pursuit of Pharaoh, you have to read Exodus 14. But I will leave that for you to look up. Now, Pharaoh is a picture of the devil. Moses summarizes this pursuit of Pharaoh in Exodus 15, 9, in what's called the Song of Moses. In Exodus 15, 9, it says, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. This is the intent of the enemy against us. So that was Pharaoh. God dealt with him appropriately and drowned him and his army in the Red Sea. Notice the people didn't have to do anything here. God did it all. The battle belongs to the Lord. Going further on, God will not let us face, you know, when we are born again, we will not let us face the Philistines straight away. God will lead you by God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, as we read earlier. He did not lead them by the way of the Philistines. Yes, God will put us through times of testing. He will bring, first of all, small enemies, then bigger, and then finally the Philistines. And that is what will happen in our Christian walk, in our, in our Christian life. But before all of this happens, we need to first of all cross the Red Sea and leave behind the old life in the land of Egypt. Exodus fifteen thirteen says, you, 
In your mercy have left forty of people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them, guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. So the Lord led them out of Egypt to worship him. Likewise, the Lord leads us out of the world to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, in this chapter, in the main chapter portion that we read in Exodus 17, we have somebody here called Amalek. Who is this Amalek? Now, if you look at the genealogical sense, he is the grandson of Esau through his son Eliphaz. And I believe his mother's name was Timnah. Remember, Esau married a Canaanite woman to purposely displace his father Isaac. You know, in rebellion against Isaac, he married a Canaanite woman, which, you know, Isaac warned him not to do. Now, you know, we touched on giants before. and Are these people giants? I can't say for 100% sure whether these people are giants or not, but there is a clue, you know, there is something, something unusual going on here. And we have this following passage in Numbers 13, 28-29. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So there is maybe an inference there that these people have got something to do, especially, you know, being the descendants of Anak. There is something you know, very demonic going on with these group of people. Now, let's have a look at verse 8. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. To me, just like Pharaoh, Amalek, I believe, is also a picture of the devil. He seems to have the same nature as the devil, attacks us even though we have done nothing against him. He starts a war without being provoked. Now, think back to the Garden of Eden. Did Adam and Eve ever do anything to Satan for him to go against them? Did he ever do anything to them? Nothing at all, I, I, I can recall. Now, the attack, however, happens right after the people re- rebelled against Moses. Moses was the leader that God had chosen to lead the people out of bondage into the promised land. And they were constantly warring against him. In fact, the real problem was with God. It wasn't with Moses at all, it was with God. When you rebel against the leadership, you are likely to face trouble as if the Lord hands you over because God sees this as a rejection of him. When you reject leadership, God sees it as a rejection of him. God puts those people in place and it was his decision to do so. Now in life we often make mistakes. But the devil uses as an opportune time to attack us when we make those mistakes. 
Now, this is a premature war. God did not want the Israelites to face this. See, God did not want to face, face what so early on in their journey. I hope, and le- I hope that we also learn from the mistakes that the Israelites made here and also in other places. You know, th- those stories in the Bible are put there for us to learn a lesson so that we don't make those same mistakes. Now, see, God had already seen, and the people had already seen what God had done, did to the Egyptians. How he held back the Egyptians with a pillar of fire, and how he divided the waters of the Red Sea, how he provided manna for them. That all happened right before this rebellion. So they really should have known better. Likewise, when things are not going according to plan in our lives, we need to trust in the Lord to see us through and not to give the devil an opportunity to attack us. Verse 9 and 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. When we are faced with spiritual war, whether through getting ourselves into difficult situations or otherwise, we need to ready ourselves for battle. Ephesians talks about putting on the whole armor of God. But we also need brethren who will stand with us in prayer, like Moses had here. I'm glad that Moses, for Moses, there was Aaron, Hur, and Joshua. But will we find such men in our midst? People who are willing not just to follow their own agenda, but to put themselves on the front line for the brethren. Verse 11 and 12. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady under the going down of the sun. When we are going through the battles, we need people to hold up our hands, pray with us and to stand with us, Give us a word of encouragement. Help us in maybe carrying the load and in some other practical way. We need each other. As brothers, we need to help each other. And that, you know, prime example of that is given here in Exodus 17, 11 to 12, how Moses, how the brethren carried Moses and through that they were able to win the war. Now, the battle lasts the whole day. And likewise, we will have to fight throughout our life, making sure our hands are steady all the way. Just as the battle went on under the going down of the sun, so our battle will also be until our eyes become dim and we be with the Lord. Friend, it's not one saved. Put your feet up and enjoy. 
But as we read in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is an enemy that is coming against us and he will use every opportunity that he has to bring us down, to take us down, and he will show no mercy. Now, verse 13, Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Through Joshua's obedience, they were able to win the battle, but the war was not yet finished. The battle is won with the edge of the sword, and likewise, we use a double-edged sword to defeat our foes, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, 7. Now, you know, there's a lot of bloodshed, as you see in, in Exodus. And in a way, you know, I'm sort of glad that we, you know, we don't fight the same kind of battles. And, and it makes a lot of people nervous when they read through these passages. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6, it says the spirit, about the spiritual war. Verses 4 to 6 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the battle is real. There is a battle for our lives, for, for our souls, there is a battle. Verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly brought out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now Moses wrote down many things as a memorial so that we may remember what the Lord has done for us in time past. So that when we do face troubles, trials and troubles in our lives, we are able to remember those things that he did and to call upon him for help. This attack so angered God that he pronounced the ultimate judgment upon the Amalekites. To understand fully the reason for God's displeasure, we need to look at the parallel verses in Deuteronomy. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 to 19. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land, which your Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will brought out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. He attacked the stragglers, the ones that were right at the back, the weak. He attacked when they were tired and weary. He did not fear God. These were the things that really displeased God. And, and, he, and it's the same ploy that the devil uses 
tries to isolate us and, and to devour us at an opportune time. We read in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I said earlier, Amalek was a picture of the devil. Now, the devil roams around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. I don't know if you ever watched programs about lions. And it's very interesting how they also go, when they go hunting, they always go for the stragglers. They go for the weakest. And, and here in Amalek, we see the, sa- the, the, the same kind of signature of the devil in Amalek. We see that. Now, verse 15. Moses built in and called his name, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. When we go through this situation in our own lives, it is an opportunity for us to lift up the name of Jesus. A wonderful name never fails, always comes to help in our time, time of need. Always, never fails. Like here, it did not fail, and they wanted to put up a banner to him. And, and this is what we should be doing. We should be lifting up the name of Jesus, the, every opportunity that we get. Maybe, you know, you know, I, you know, I shared last week about the journey up the mountain. Now, I was really struggling, but this man, Rob, who was an unbeliever, came and helped. But God, even there, gave me an opportunity to tell him that, that he was sent by God to help me to complete the journey and to come back to the valley. And, you know, we can lift up the name of Jesus in all the situations that we go through. Yes, we will have difficult times, but it is an opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus, just as Moses and the people of Israel did here. Now, verse 16 says, For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, it is the Lord who fights our battles, the war goes on until Jesus returns and puts all his enemies under him. Every person in every generation will go through this. Remember, he says here, from generation to generation, no one is excluded. We all will go through it. Now, Israel faced many more attacks from the Amalekites, spanning hundreds of years. Their hatred and treatment of Jews, God actually took very personally. And that's why he pronounces judgment on them. Now, when we look through the, some of the other passages regarding Amalek, there is one case where Saul was instructed to completely destroy Amalek in 1 Samuel 15, 2-3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. Have we ambushed him on the way? When he came up from Egypt, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Saul defeated Agag, king of Amalek, 
how he lost his kingdom because of his disobedience in carrying out all the instructions that God had given him. And therefore, he was rejected as king. That's how serious dealing with Amalek is. Okay? If we do not win this battle, if you in your life do not win this battle, you will be rejected. And that is why, you know, I, I love my 100-meter sprints. Okay? But it is not a sprint. A Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It's there. Endurance is required. And guile and a lot of training is required. And God puts us through this training. You know, like here, God wanted to put them through the training before they met with the Philistines. He wanted to bring them slowly, slowly into the promised land. But they were not willing and they rebelled against God. And we need to learn from that. Now in 1 Samuel 30, we, we see that David was fully obedient to what God had told him to do in dealing with the Amalekites. He completely, the ones that he, that he had to deal with, he completely destroyed. But the, and the last that we hear of Amalek is in the book of Esther. It's a man called Haman. Haman is called an Agagite. Okay, he's a descendant of Agag, King Agag. Many hundreds of years later, he survived and he tried to completely wipe out all the Jews in Persia, modern day Iran. And however, he first of all planned to kill Mordecai and then all of the Jews. And he built, he built a, the gallows to hang, he, uh, to hang Mordecai on the gallows. However, his plan backfired and eventually he was hanged on the gallows himself. And look back to what happened with Pharaoh in, in the land of Egypt. The last of the plagues that came upon Egypt. It was initiated by Pharaoh himself wanting to kill the firstborn of the Israelites. That judgment fell upon himself and God dealt with him. Just like here, uh, how Pharaoh was dealt with, God dealt with Haman in a similar kind of way. His own plans fell upon him. God judged him. However, finally, the war against the Amalekites is won there. We don't hear about the Amalekites anymore in Scripture. But the spirit of Amalek lives on and is daily warring against God's people. Now, today, when the world looks at this passage, they often make the accusation that God is a genocidal maniac, but has how, as we saw, when we looked at the giants in the land, we understand that something very unusual, something very demonic is going on in the land that God, that caused God to pronounce these judgments on them. You know, I am glad that we have a God who is mindful of us and who loves us with an everlasting love. Now, I realized when I was struggling going up that mountain, I saw all the parallels of what the Israelites went, went through. 
the struggle. You know, I put myself in that situation. I know, you know, I didn't have to do them. I didn't have to climb the mountain. <laughs> I didn't I put myself in it. But it showed, taught me something about the journey that we go through and the, what the Israelites went through. Climbing a mountain is similar to the Christian life. It is a mountain that we need to climb. And it is God who takes us up the mountain and, and also brings us into the valleys. Now, how is God going to carry out this plan of blotting out the remembrance of Hamalek? He will do that when he re- Jesus returns. He will deal with Satan. And he will show no mercy. Isaiah 14, 15 to 16 says, You have brought, down, you have brought him down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? And Revelation 20, 7 to 10 says, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as a sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I don't see a single... In Scripture, I don't see a single Amalekite who, godly, who was godly or was saved. Not a single one. And he reserves the severest of judgments for people who oppose God's people. And, and he would deal with them as we have read here. So how will God bring an end to his remembrance? So in Isaiah 65, 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall, be shall not be remembered or come to mind. There will be no more remembrance of Amalek. There will be no more remembrance of the devil. He will never again torment us. He will never again be able to hurt even the weakest among us. God is going to put an end to it. God is going to put a stop to it. I'm so glad God is for us and not against us. And there.